Thank you for tuning in to Aletheia Bible Fellowship. Today's sermon is on the church versus the world and the way that we interact with and against uh, the world in that way. Uh, hopefully you'll find this uh, useful. If you need any more information, please visit our website at abfpdx.org. All right, so we are continuing our arc for the year of solidarity. Um, we're going to take a look at how it is uh, for this month, taking a look at the world and the differences that we encounter in the church uh, versus the world, or how it is that uh, the people of the church interact with the world. So in order to do that, I just want to like dive headfirst right into Scripture uh, without my usual preamble of all these descriptive words and stuff, uh, because we'll go through and we'll define things as we go through that. And the first place that I want to start out is in 1 John chapter 2. We're going to look at 1 John chapter 2, verses 15 through 17, just to get an idea what God has to say um, through his servant John and how it is that we are to uh, react in regards to things of this world. So in 1 John 2, 15 through 17, it says, Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For when you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does that pleases God and will live forever. Now, these verses should seem familiar to you if you were with, uh, well, if you pay attention to any of the sermons from last year, because we basically went through and discussed uh, those different things. But first, I think we really do need to take an opportunity and just clarify what it's being said here in regards to the world. Uh, the world can have several different meanings, and... You know, sometimes we get a little confused as to what exactly is being talked about here. So the first thing that the world could mean would be creation. Sometimes people use the word or use the term the world to describe creation. So you have to ask yourself if that's what you're doing. Is the Bible telling us not to love God's creation? I see some heads shaking no. I think you're on the right track there. Um, doesn't the Bible say, uh, for in Psalm 19.1, for example, that the heavens declare the glory of God? Right? So the heavens, of course, would be part of creation. So God, though he doesn't want us to worship the world, certainly doesn't want us to hate what he has created. That includes ourself. Creation is part of God's gift to man, and I believe that we should value what God has put around us, the things that he has created, and we should take care of it. When the Bible says here in 1 John, do not love the world, it is not speaking of his creation. So, for example, as a church, we have Emberwatch program, right, where we actually go out and explore what God has created and how it is that we can interact with that uh, for people who, who like to go out into the woods with nothing and come back several days stronger. Um, not my personal thing. It's, uh, 
it's, it's deeper than just going on a camping trip. Again, camping trip, not my personal thing. But uh, the, the opportunity to explore the, everything that God has put around you, especially if you just look at where we are, uh, God's creation is, is, is beautiful, right? We've got, we've got the beach, we've got rivers, we've got mountains, all within just a, a few hours' drive. So it is appropriate that we do love God's creation and the things that he has created, the world around us in that regard. So just take note, usually when the world is talking about God's creation, it is specifically like uh, the earth, then it usually, it usually, the word usually uses earth, right? So in Genesis 1-1, God created the heavens and the earth. Uh, in uh, Revelation 21-1, and I saw a new heaven and a new earth, right? So we just went from the beginning to the, the end of, of the Bible, right? Uh, biblically speaking, the world and the earth can be two different things. So the next thing that the world could mean could be uh, a system, right? So the Greek word specifically used here in First John is the word cosmos, which refers to an ordered system. So if we speak, uh, for example, of the world of finance, am I talking about that planet next to Mars that we call finance? No. I'm not that bad at, you know, astronomy there. Uh, so uh, if I talk about uh, the world of politics, right, I'm not speaking of a, an actual earth or creation, but actually a system uh, that we operate through. So a system of politics. And personally, I believe that in 1 John 2, that we're understanding that we are not to love the system of the world, or another way to put that, the way in which the world conducts itself. Uh, there are policies and procedures in place. There are things that we are taught, the way that we are supposed to do things, uh, who it is that we're supposed to look out for, how it is that we're supposed to care for one another, how we're supposed to operate in society. And there's a, a definite uh, difference in how it is that the world operates versus how the church should be operating. So God doesn't love the world system of evil and neither should we as his adopted children. Rather, rather than embracing that, we should be separate from that, right? In 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 17, we see Paul say, Therefore, come out from among unbelievers, separate yourselves from them, says the Lord. Don't touch their filthy things, and I will welcome you. We are set apart from that system, set apart from those things. So when I say set apart, does this mean that we are to separate ourselves and live in a commune with no interaction with the outside world? <laughs> I, I'm not sure on that one. Uh, should we adopt a monastic lifestyle? Uh, we can make some nice wines and beers and sell them maybe with the local villagers or something. Uh, I know I'm already balding, so I've got that going for me. 
Um, I just need a burlap robe and I'd be all set, right? Um, I don't believe that the Bible is telling us that we should separate ourselves and only have a small impact on the world. We are to be separate from the systems and set apart, but we're not supposed to be completely removed from the world. And John backs this up in John chapter 17, verse 15. In John 17, verse 15, this is Jesus himself praying. He says, I'm not asking you to take them out of the world, but keep them safe from the evil one. So Jesus didn't ask his father to take us out of the world, right, to create a safe space for us, right? Christ wanted us to remain here until he returns. And what he asks his father for is for protection for us. So are we, we are still called to be part of the world that we were created in. And there's a reason for that. Paul in 2 Corinthians chapter 5 Verse 20 says that we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. So we have a specific task that is laid before us and does not behoove us to be separated then completely from the world around us. If you're continuing in John chapter 7, Jesus himself prays hours before his arrest, hours before the world attempts to consume him. He prays in the presence of his disciples and in his prayer that they can hear, he says, verse 21 of 17, I pray that they all will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, that they may be in us, so the world will believe they either accept him or they reject him. But that choice is not up to us. It's up to them as individuals. Our job is to communicate as fully and complete as possible who the person is. Of Jesus Christ is. Now the question becomes how is it that we share who he is with the world? How is it that we show the world that God sent Jesus? What is our, oh, I don't know, the strategy that God has employed for us in order to achieve the goal? Is it, oh, I don't know, go stand up on soapboxes in the middle of downtown Portland and tell everybody that they're going to hell? Um, Unfortunately, that's been proven to be rather ineffective. That strategy has been tried for centuries, and we find ourselves currently in a decline in the number of people who, in America especially, that identify themselves not just as Christians, but even just religious overall. 
According to what we're reading in John chapter 17, verse 21 says, I pray that they will be one just as you and I are one. As you are in me, Father, and I am in you, may they be in us. And again in verse 23, I am in them and you in me, may they experience such perfect unity that the world will know that you sent me and that you love them as much as you love me. So here you see this repeated idea, right, that they will be one. They will be one with me as I am one with you. This strategy that God intends and uses to accomplish the objective of communicating who the person of Jesus Christ is, is solidarity. Interesting. Solidarity is the way that we reach into the world with the understanding of this divine strategy that the Lord intended to bring awareness to the world. They will know we are Christians by our love. Love does not come about when there is uh, chaos or disunity within the body. Awareness of Jesus Christ created in the midst of a world through family, a family life, a shared life, so that men and women all over the earth become new, birthed into the life, entering into the family, so that they may experience the joy and warmth of returned communication and relationship with God. We are to exhibit a love that is so different from how the world defines love. So that when the world observes that love, they long for that love. And when they are able to see that the reason that we have that love is because of who Jesus is, that leads them to that understanding. John 17, verse 22, I have given them the glory you gave me so that they may be one as we are one. Verse 26, I have revealed you to them and will continue to do so. Then your love for me will be in them and I will be in them. That glory... That solidarity that the church shows that's visible is when Christians love one another, and that is the whole secret. Now, the reason that the church is losing ground in the world today and the number of people who profess Christianity are dwindling literally comes down to a lack of solidarity. There are so many different dissensions that lead to chaos, and it's worse than what the world displays because we have known the truth. You have divisions that create, are created because of a difference in theology, a lack of trust in any type of biblical authority or truth. 
oh, I like this part of the Bible, but this part, no, that's not great. I just don't feel it, right? It doesn't speak to me. I mean, I read through the book of Numbers. Man, there's a lot of names. Part of the problem is that the definitions of love have changed in the world to mean something completely different than how the Bible describes love. Love in the world means acceptance of all differences and a lack of any accountability or responsibility. Right? I'm different than you. You have to accept me. You have no authority over me. I don't need to change. This is just who I am. There's a lack of standing for truth. Love by the world's definition has lost all of its power. Because now it's just a feeling that is thrown around. It's just a word that is defined not by any solid truth, but how an individual feels. I have a different definition of love than you, and if yours disagree, then you're not loving me. But there has to be a standard. And the standard that we see presented in God's word holds people accountable. We are each responsible. And there are differences between me and you. And those are celebrated, but there are some things that we hold firm and true that we can be accountable towards. The church has lost its love of truth and become one with the world instead of one with God through Jesus Christ. Instead of real love, the church pours out what the world loves, which is false and smacks of pride in self only. Love me because of me, for me. It's very lonely. It's very sad and it's very empty. Because my definition changes, how can anybody truly know who I am? How can anybody truly support me, come alongside me, help me through my times of trials, celebrate my joys? Instead, they're always worried that they'll say the wrong thing to me. They might trigger me. That I might call them hateful instead of loveful. That is not what we are to exhibit In Romans 12, verses 9 and 10, Paul says, Don't just pretend to love others. Really love them. Hate what is wrong. Hold tightly to what is good. Love each other with genuine affection. And take delight in honoring each other. So how do we do this? First, you have to recognize, of course, that we came from the world, but you have to remember, we are no longer the same person we were when we came from the world. 
Romans 12.2, just earlier from what we just read, says don't copy the behaviors and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. And then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good and pleasing and perfect. If our minds are being transformed, then the natural outworking will be that we will live according to the renewal of our minds. So that means those habits that we used to have will no longer be our habits. Because we have a new way of thinking. And so those comforts are no longer comfortable. So how does that actually look then? How do we exhibit the fact that we're new creations? How do we uh, participate in relationships that uh, no longer smack of, oh, I have my own personal truth and you have your own personal truth, but, but show the truth of who God is and who Jesus Christ is? How is the love that the church shows for one another truly different than the love that the world shows? Well, first and foremost, we must have relationship with, that, with each other, right? We have, we have to have a mutual contact with each other. It is bovine excrement to speak of loving another Christian if you will not speak to them. It's okay, my mentor taught me it was okay to say that. There must be contact and a willingness to engage with one another, to converse with one another, not to stand off and separate yourselves from your brothers and sisters in Christ. You cannot withdraw from each other. Now, I grant you there are specific and clearly defined circumstances involving discipline where Christians are to withdraw temporarily. And those specific guidelines have one specific end goal. And that's the return, the reconciliation, the return to fellowship with one another. We are to love each other simply because we are Christians and we're not to be selective about it. We're not supposed to look for, ooh, I don't know, our specific kind of Christians. Our specific friends that have the exact same interests as, as, as we do, right? Uh, Matthew 5, 47 says, If you're kind only to your friends, how are you different from anyone else? Even the pagans do that. We are to embrace one another. Remember I talked about differences and, and how we're each different? We need to embrace that. It's okay that I don't like camping. I know that Colin does, and he still loves me. He'd, uh, he'd eat a squirrel for me. Right? Do not practice the kind of love that the world does. Do not be selective in who it is that you talk to as a brother and sister in Christ. We love people because of the relationship that we share in Christ, right? 
We are one with him as he is one with the Father. Secondly, we must have a genuine, non-pretend love, right? It involves a mutual concern for one another. Every contact is marked by a readiness to help, to share, to listen, to pray, bear one another's burdens. Bear those together in the Lord and fulfill the law of Christ. So that means that we must not only come to each other on a regular basis with more than just, oh, beautiful weather we're having today. Did you catch the sports ball yesterday? True, honest communication and relationship. How can we possibly bear each other's burdens if we are afraid to share our burdens with each other? We must be willing to bear and willing to share so others can bear with us as well. And thirdly, all true Christian love is marked by a mutual sense of contribution. That means a recognition that we need each other. It's not a sign of weakness when we lean on our brothers and sisters. It is a sign of strength because we know, we know that only through the love of one another and through the sharing of each other's burdens and only through our weaknesses can we really grow strong together. That's part of the beauty of the fact that we all have differences, right? There are some things that you are much better at than I am. Like right now, Adam's back there taking notes. I am terrible at that. Fortunately, I'm up here not taking notes, and he's taking notes for me. We share in our weaknesses and our burdens. You have what somebody else needs. They have what you need. We minister to one another alike. It's not one directional. It goes from older generation to younger generation and from younger generation to older generation. I know it's tempting when you get older and you think that you've seen everything to think that there is nothing the younger generation can teach you. There is nothing that they have that will benefit you. It's not the case. I may not be able to speak from experience, but I can still speak authoritatively on this. I'm getting there. I'm in that halfway part, right? I've got some friends that are older that still see me as way too young, and I've got a lot of friends who are younger that see me as way too old. I can learn from both of them. It's amazing. Both of them have things that can help me out with, like, you know, getting down the ladder from the attic yesterday during our volunteer day. These things set us apart from the world. The way it is that we interact with one another, the way it is that we are willing to share each other's burden, without fear that that will be used as weapons against us. See, that's the major difference here, right? The world has taught us not to be vulnerable because if we show weakness, then we will be pounced upon. That's why it's survival of the fittest. That's why I've got to take care of myself. I've got to do anything that I can to make sure that I get ahead, even if it means someone else doesn't. That's not what we're all about. 
We are to be set apart. Those things that we do that set us apart will make the world gather in wonder at what they see. Will communicate the truth of who Jesus Christ is. The truth that his Father sent him. There is no greater sign of who he is than the love that we show for each other. For the solidarity that we show for each other. We exhibit love defined not by our feelings by personal definitions, but by a divine standard that is demonstrated by God through His Son, Jesus, who is the Christ. So there's a clear difference there. Today, I just want to give you a brief introduction. We're going to explore different aspects of this and how it is that we are different from the world, but not to be removed from the world, how it is that we are to operate within the world, um, and what it is that we are to do. So I'm going to go ahead and end on that note, but get us set up for success in the future. I have three questions for you, and then we're going to partake in communion with one another. A time to take hold in remembrance of what Christ has done for us. So let me give you these questions, and then we'll prepare ourselves for a communion. First question is, how have your relationships with other Christians differed from the ones without Christ as a commonality? How of your relationships with other Christians differed from ones without Christ as a commonality? Second question. What do you believe gets in the way of you being able to express real love to fellow Christians? What is getting in the way of you being able to express real love to fellow Christians? And third question is how have you set yourself apart from the world, but still operate in it? How have you set yourself apart from the world, but still operate in it?